Welcome to the mikvah.org podcast. The mikvah organization has been dedicated to the education and resources for Jewish family life since 1975-5735. You can support our vital work at mikvah.org forward slash donate. Thank you for your support and enjoy today's recording. This series has been generously sponsored in the merit of a Rifua Shlema for Chava Guta, Bas Henya Chasya, and Henya Rifka, Bas Bracha Dvoralea. May the learning happening over these next few weeks on the three mitzvahs of women be a schus for their immediate and full recovery. Thank you to our generous sponsor for your support. If you'd like to consider sponsoring a future episode in memory or in honor of a loved one, please reach out to podcast at mikvah.org. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another mikvah.org podcast. My name is Chasi Rifkin, and I'm your host for today. Today, we have the privilege of interviewing Mrs. Esther Sternberg on the Mifsa of Neshek. This podcast is part of our series on the three mitzvahs of the Jewish woman. So today, we are focusing on Hadlakas Neves, which is the hay of the word Chana, the Rebetzin's name. These, this podcast is being aired between Chavches Teves and Chavbeis Shvat in honor of our Rebetzins. So Mrs. Esther Sternberg has been teaching in Beis Rifka High School for over 30 years. She was also the president of the Sheyab Nez Chabad in Kran Heights for many, many years, which is how she uh, began getting involved in Mifsa Neshek. And we'll go directly into it with Mrs. Sternberg. So Mrs. Sternberg, tell us a little bit about how Mifsa Neshek got started and how you got involved with it. Okay, so it's very interesting that um, every year um, the Rebbein would have, a, say, a special secret to the women, all the women that wanted to come before Rosh Hashanah. It was one of the days, it didn't have a specific, it didn't have a specific date, but one of the days before Rosh Hashanah, at about 5 o'clock in the afternoon, all the ladies of the community and anybody who came from anywhere else came down to the men's shul, to the big shul. They even took over the big shul. They took over the ladies' shul. And the Rebbe spoke a special secret to women to bless them for the new year. It was usually a secret of about 45 minutes. And it was full of brachas, and it was very emotional because the Rebbe really was preparing us for the new year with a lot, a lot of kaych. Uh, that year, which happened to have been the English day, it was September 11th, though. So uh, interestingly, it was actually Chav Dalit Elul, 1974, Tav Shin Dalit. And just before the start of the Sicha, uh, he asked Rabbi Grona, where are the girls from Achonchana? And um, they were sitting in a certain area, and somebody pointed out where. And they had been nodded. And then the Rebbe spoke, as he usually speaks, about the obligation of the Jewish woman and her great uh, powers that she has. And, and then suddenly he started saying that because we live in a world that now is very, very dark, he called it Cheshech Kafel Umechupel, which is a doubly, doubly dark um, world. Um, and of course, he didn't mean dark because outside the sun was shining. He meant it was dark in a spiritual way. We have to bring more light to the world. And he even mentioned that the Balshemtav, whenever he saw there was something bad happening to a certain group of people, he saw Baruch HaKadosh, that it was something dark. He would come into his shul and said, turn on the lights. They didn't have electricity there. They used to have to light the lanterns or whatever chandeliers they had that were made out of, uh, that had oil in it or paraffin. And 
by even though it was daytime, by adding physical light, he was hoping that the Abish is going to add spiritual light. So the Rebbe said, there are many women in the world today that are not lighting Shabbos candles for various reasons. Some of them because when their parents came from Europe during the Holocaust, they were afraid to be religious and they stopped lighting candles because uh, they thought the guy will make fun of them. And then they never taught it to their children and their children grew up without it. And for whatever reason, people are not, women who should be lighting are not lighting Shabbos candles. And we need the light of every single woman and even a little girl of three years old. I remember being very surprised at that because I remember lighting as a young girl. I don't know if it was three, I think it was older. I don't think we ever heard the word three years old. We always knew the girls with candles, little Babich, but I didn't know. And suddenly the Rebbe said three years old. I wanna just mention that the Rebbe later changed that to younger than three because um, at first when the Rebbe said three years old, it was like such an arbitrary date. Or he said, because Rivka Imenu lived at three years old. And later on, he said that even a child of one years old, if she could say a brach, there are some children that are very um, ahead of themselves. Some children are very, um, they talk early. And if a girl could say a brach or she feels she wants to say a brach and you could help her say it, she could even start to light at that time. That's very interesting. Anyway, the Rebbe spoke that we should reach out to these women and explain to them the importance of them adding light to the world, which is going to bring a spiritual light. And I remember standing there thinking, this is so beautiful, but we as women never did anything like a mitzvah, like anything for Hanukkah, anything for Purim. This was all done by the men at the Tzirei Agudas Chabad, which is Tzach. They would always get the Hanukkah menorahs, the cheap ones, and give it out. They made packages. They made packages for Purim. They would give out matzah for Pesach. They would have the, uh, they started mitzvah tanks later on. They did uh, the mezuzah, which was all that started before Meshach. And somehow we thought that they're going to do Meshach, and we women were never used to doing it. Anyway, I walked out very inspired. That's a very beautiful thing. And let's see what's going to develop. The next day was Hafei Adar Elo, which is the birthday of the world. And the Rebbe had another Fabregen. And the Rebbe again spoke about this. And I don't know if he called it a Mifza yet, but he just said that everybody should work on re reaching out to women all over wherever they are, and even to young girls of three years old. So we realized there's something new happening here. And um, again, I don't know how many people thought it's going to be a Mifza, but we just away from that. The next day, because I was, I want to just explain something. We used to have a presidium of about 12 women, maybe 14 or so, the presidium of the Sheikh Chabad. And uh, every year we had elections for two new women of this presidium, and we rotated who was president that year. So I was president that year until after circus, and after circus we were going to have elections for the who's going to take over for the next year. So just towards the end of my term, but Rabbi Chodakov, the Rebbe secretary, knew that I was one of the presidents. So he called me up and said, the Rebbe warns that whatever he spoke about at the Fabregen should be printed in the Yiddish language newspaper for those people who don't read English and don't know about what I said, and we have to reach those women. So I get this message to put an ad in the Yiddish paper. I don't know how to put an ad in. I don't know how to write an ad. And I got very flustered. And I called my co-president who said she's too busy with Yantif. She can't do it. And 
uh, I ran to my father. I said, please, what, what should I do? The Heber wants an ad. The Heber wants, we have to do an ad. So somebody gave me the idea to call up somebody that worked at the Jewish newspaper. His name was Rabbi Nissen Gordon of Hashal. He was the editor of the newspaper. And I called him up. I said, could you tell me how can I get somebody to help me write an ad in Yiddish? He says, you know what? If you give me everything that the Rebbe said at the two Fabregas that you're talking about, give it to me typed up. If you bring it to my house before 4 a.m. tomorrow, I will make the ad for you because tomorrow we print the newspaper that's the last one before Rosh Hashanah, so we don't have time. Bring it to me till, till I leave in the morning at 4 a.m. and I'll produce the ad. So I rushed around to get the typed up the sikhs that the Rebbe spoke those two nights. It wasn't like later on when it got typed up right away. It took a long time to get somebody uh, to take it from the recording and to, it, it wasn't how it was years ago. By the way, Mifsa Neshek is 49 years old, so I'm talking about 49 years ago. Um, <clears throat> so I got it to Rabbi Gordon. I remember it was three o'clock in the morning, but I brought it to his house, I put it in his mailbox. And the next day at five o'clock in the afternoon, he came to my house and brought me three copies of the newspaper. And he said, here's one for you, here's one for the Rebbe, and here's another one for whoever needs. So, of course, I ran to 770, gave it to the Rebbe, and I got a very big thank you from the Rebbe. And I really felt that I didn't deserve the thank you because really Rabbi Gordon did it, but I facilitated it. So that was what I did, and that's all. I didn't think it was going to go further than that. However, Rosh Hashanah, at the Fabregen that concludes Rosh Hashanah, that every year there was a Fabregen on the second day of Rosh Hashanah that concluded, like in the middle of the night, and the Rebbe would give Kachel Bracha afterwards, during that Fabregen, the Rebbe said that he wants to give out two coins to every girl that undertakes to light Shabbos candles. Um, in America, he's going to give dimes. He's going to give his dimes. In Europe or in Israel, they should get coins of a value of 10 each, and he's going to pay them back so it will be considered it's his gift. And this is a gift for every girl that's going to start lighting Shabbos candles. So I got a call from Rabbi Chodekar the day after Rosh Hashanah that the other ones that should be distributed on Friday, which was Shabbos Shuvah, so that the girls will bench for that Shabbos and Mitzvah for Yom Kippur. So we were looking for a place where people could come. Every People were told at the Fabregen that anybody that has anything to do with young girls, if they're principals of a school, if they uh, have a camp, if they have any kind of um, association with young girls and some kind of clubs, they should come with the names of the girls and the mother's names and they'll get the dimes. We didn't have a place, the Sheikh Abad didn't, own a didn't have a place, we, and Beis Rifka was not in Crown Heights at the time. Can I ask you a question? Yes. When, when the rebel was saying this about the young girls, was it outside of Chabad or even within Chabad anybody, at that point? Anybody. The girls hadn't lit, hadn't lit yet. Any girls anywhere, because when I just spoke, he said, spread the word to anybody that has a camp, a school. Uh, um, right, no, but I'm just, I'm wondering, because like, you know, this is like right now for my generation, right? We weren't around 50 years ago. Are we saying that if at that time, even within Chabad, even within right. Heights, most girls were not lighting at that point? If they were not lighting, because there were some parents that didn't know about it. Okay. And it meant any other girls anywhere, whoever takes upon herself to light, that everyone was going to give this gift. So I told Rabbi Chadakov, let them come to my house because I really don't have another place. 
And that Friday morning, people were coming already at six o'clock in the morning because people flew in from Canada the night before. So they should get back in time for Shabbos to give out the coins. And a whole day I was getting these sheets of papers with names and mother's names and just giving out coins and coins and coins. I can't even tell you how many because it was just such a busy time and everybody was very excited about it. And people that had Talmud Torahs and people that had uh, Hebrew schools, everybody was very excited about I have to tell you something that happened, and actually this is probably what started my involvement. Um, we all know that the Rebbe used to give Lekach, a piece of honey cake, Erev Yom Kippur, he would give it only to the men. Um, the, just the last two or three years before Chavzai and Adar, the Rebbe gave it to everybody. But all the years back, the Lekach was only given to men and to boys. And the father, the head of the household, would ask for my wife, for my daughters, and the Rebbe would either give another piece or they would keep part of their piece for their wives and daughters. Uh, many years before this story, um, the Rebbe had sent me on a special shlichus somewhere. And when I came back, it was just before Yantif. And when my father asked for a piece of Lekach for me, the Rebbe said I should come myself. And I, I was like very shocked because women never went and I was embarrassed to be among thousands of men. But the secretaries heard, so they stopped the line and I came there so embarrassed. And the Rebbe gave me this big smile and he said, I said you should come. And he gave me the, a piece of lekach. Together with the lekach comes a bracha, shana teva umesuka, which is a very, very uh, awesome bracha, Aryum kippa for life, for good, for a sweet life for that year. Because of that, every Erev Yom Kippur, I went to get Lekach because the Rebbe said, I told you to come. So the secretary said, that means you should come every year. I'm only telling you this for the rest of the story, not because I want to brag about it. Um, 1974, Erev Yom Kippur, I was already married. I had a few children, quite a few children, Baruch Hashem. And I went with my husband and my children. And waiting online for the bracha was an extremely awesome feeling because you're getting a bracha for life. Erev Yom Kippur. I can't tell you the awe-inspiring moments. And when the Rebbe looked at me, before he gave me the cake, he said to me in Yiddish, he asked me if I still have enough dimes. And I had no clue what he's talking about because he's talking about money and I'm waiting for a blessing for life. So I could imagine, why is he talking about dimes, money? Uh, uh, what has money got to do with anything? I so didn't think he was talking about the dimes for the girls because I'm waiting for the bracha. Then my husband whispered to me, the dimes for the girls for Ben Shilich. So I said to them, oh, uh, I just have a few. I remember going with my finger like this. I just have a few left. The Rebbe wanted to know if I still had enough because it's Erev Yom Kippur. Maybe girls aren't going to want. So when I said I just have a few when I made my fingers, the Rebbe put his hands into his right pocket and took out 10 packages of rolled up dimes that come from the bag and plastic bags. And he put them in my hands. Now, I didn't have a pocketbook with me because I was going to the Rebbe for Lekach. So I didn't take a pocketbook. So my hands were holding on to 10 packages of a hundred dimes, each is a thousand dimes. And then he put his hand in his left pocket and he took out another 10 packages and he gave them to my husband because he saw my hands were full. And I was so shocked. And then he gave me the lekach. 
I don't even know how I held on to the lekkah and gave me the bracha. And I walked away in such a daze because I was thinking, it's so heavy for me to hold them. And the Rebbe had them in his pockets, in both pockets. And he had it since he started to give out lekkah because he didn't go in between to get it for me. He had it in his pockets. And he knew that I was coming sometime during the day. And I used to specifically not come early because I didn't want to disturb the Rebbe. In the beginning, it was very, very packed. I thought later it's better. So who knows how many hours the Rebbe was standing there with the dimes in his pocket. But what did it show me? That he wanted to make sure that if there's a little girl anywhere that wants to light before Yom Kippur, she should get she should not be held back from not lighting because she didn't get the dimes. So the Rebbe had these heavy dimes in his pockets for hours so that he could give it to me to make sure that if a little girl wants the bench lift, she should not be held back. That to me was something so special. I figured, okay, I'm going to see what I could do about this, whatever it's going to be. We didn't call it Mifsadeshek, actually. The Rebbe called it Nehre Shabbos Kaidish for six months, all in place of time. He started calling it Mifsadeshek. Before that, he called it Nehre Shabbos Kaidish. The next thing for, that for happened. For everyone who's listening, just, you know, in case it's not coming through, Nehre Shabbos Kaidish is an acronym for the word Neshek. Right. And in Israel, they adopted that. They took the nun and the shin and the kuf of the words Nehru Shabbos Kodesh, and they adopted that acronym for Neshek, and the Rebbe uh, accepted it, and the Rebbe started calling him Mitzvah Neshek. Uh, the next thing that happened was that Sukkot went by, and Rabbi Gronel Hashem called me up and said that the Rebbe called him in and said he doesn't hear anything that's happening about this new Miftah uh, from all over the world. Nobody sent him any message that they did anything, and he knew that I had done something because there were calls to the office from people that wanted to print up what the Rebbe said. One of them was from Yeshiva University. They wanted to print in a source book teaching about Shabbos. Another was another institution that wanted to print it up. And the office sent them to me, and I got the printed up and typed up information, what the Rebbe said, and I gave it over to them. But that's all I did. It was a tiny little nothing. And Rabbi Grona said, could you just write to the Rebbe that you did that because the Rebbe didn't hear from anybody, and he said he's very upset that nobody's doing anything about Nehru Shabbos Kodesh. And I told Rabbi Grona, we had a big fight about it. I said, I can't write unless I'm very proud of what I'm doing, and there was very little. And we argued a few days in a row until finally he got me to agree to write that little bit to the Rebbe. I got such a beautiful answer from the Rebbe about how happy he was to get good news about Nehru Shabbos Kodesh. Kama regarding a few minutes before Hazman shall have lockers Nehru Shabbos Kodesh, a few minutes before the time of lighting Shabbos Kodesh, because I sent it in Friday afternoon. So I decided from now on, I better do something that every Friday I could write to the Rebbe report of what we did. And luckily, we started doing things. Don't ask how it started. I heard that somebody, um, we, we didn't have candlesticks. That's the most interesting thing. We didn't think we have to do candlesticks. We thought we have to make a brochure. We have to teach people how to make a bracha because their people don't know how to say it in, in Harried Hebrew. We have to print something in transliteration and we have to do advertisement. But somehow we did not think we have to get out candle holders. I don't know why we didn't think so. We thought people have them. And the first uh, time we had to deal with that was the week after Sukkot. A rabbi from a Talmud Torah in Brooklyn called up to say that he heard that Rebbe wants girls to light candles, and he could really give them candle holders of his own, but he knows if it comes from Lubavitch, he'll be more successful. When I heard that, I couldn't say to him, Lubavitch doesn't have, because I 
I couldn't do that. I said, well, I'm expecting a shipment at the end of the week. He said, oh, that's perfect because most, most children come on Thursday. I figured, okay, good. At least now it's Monday till Thursday. I'll find candlesticks. I don't know where, but I can't let him down. I remember sitting down after I hung up the phone and started looking at the phone book. We used to have phone books years ago, these big, thick phone books. And I was looking through advertisements, but nobody makes candle holders and nobody makes candlesticks. And as I'm going through the pages of different companies that make things, I passed a page from a company called Anchor Hocking that makes things out of glass, like bowls and pitchers. And, and they happened to make a glass candlestick <clears throat> that looks like a star. And there was a picture of it. I said, oh, that's a candlestick. So I called them up. And the first candlesticks we gave out were those star candlesticks in glass. And I remember we went to buy it. We needed special permission because we were not uh, wholesalers. They only sold, sold to wholesalers. And this rabbi that had the Talmud Torah said he has 80 girls. I decided to send 100 in case a girl wants for her sister. And on Monday, I get a call from this rabbi, and he says, I need another 100. I said, excuse me, you said you have 80 girls, and I gave you 100, so why do you need another 100? He said, because the children in the neighborhood that didn't get it, that don't even go to my school, got so jealous that their friends are lighting, they also wanted a light. So now I need 100 for the children that don't even come to my Talmud Torah. So oh, I read. Let me ask you. So you said this is right after Sukkot. So this is all a matter of weeks. The Rebbe spoke about this a couple right. and within the month, you're already distributing hundreds of candles. Well, well, this when this man called, and he made me feel so incompetent that Chabad should be giving him candlesticks, and we didn't even have candlesticks. So I was so I didn't want to disappoint him and disappoint him in the name of Chabad. So we got candlesticks, and then. Um, we decided, oh, this is such a good idea. We should go to schools, to Talmud Torahs. We should go to Hebrew schools. We should go and give the children the candlestick, and that way they're going to want to light. But we didn't think the glass was a good idea because it could break. And we heard that Rabbi Kudin in California got hold of a little uh, gold candle holder. It was a very small thing. It was probably oh, a short little pretty little flower. We later found out it was actually made to be used December 20 something that we don't want to talk about. And that's what it was really a decoration for. But we didn't know it was a candle holder. It was a candle holder. So I called up Rabbi Kunin. I ordered 3,000 from him. I said, could you send me 3,000, please? I'll pay you anything. I don't have any candle holders. I heard that you got these. And he sent them to me. And we started distributing. There was a certain woman in in Lubavitch, a very prominent woman that had a medical condition. And she wrote to the Rebbe for a bracha, and the Rebbe said she should get involved with Neva Shabbos Kodesh. So she calls me up and she says, what can I do to help you? I said, well, if you really want to help me, I'll tell you what we want to do. We want to go to all the schools. I lost you for a moment. I lost your reception. Hmm. I had been told her that she should have a refuel. Sorry, we lost you for a moment. We got you said you said that the you told her that if she really wants to help, you're going to all the schools. We got we lost you at that point. Okay. Like I said, if she she I asked her if she wants to help. I told her I need somebody to make phone calls, to call up the schools, make appointments, and tell them why, what we're going to do. And she was very happy to do it, and it really helped her physically in her condition because that was the his way of healing her. And thanks to her, we went. We had appointments. We had girls from seminary going every single day to different schools, giving out candlesticks to the children.
Now, by then, we already started printing a, a brochure. And one day, a man, his name is Mr. Kupferstein. I like to mention his name because he's a very wonderful person. I'm very thankful to him. He had a business in Brooklyn of making things out of metal. He did things for the army and he had contracts for that. And he also made things for certain handbags, pocketbooks. And he's the one who made the uh, inexpensive menorahs that Sach was giving out, the very thin metal menorah that uh, people give with candles. And he came and offered to make a candlestick for us to give out. So I was invited to a meeting in Sach because he thought that Sach is going to um, run this campaign. So I came as a tag-along to Tzach, if I'm interested. And he showed me a candle holder. And I'm sorry they don't have a copy because we just used them. I don't even have one left. And the candle holder was a very odd-shaped candle holder. It was very tall. It must have been about seven inches tall. It had a very narrow bottom. The base of it was very narrow. I would say it was probably two inches in circumference. And the middle was like a... Um, like an open V, if you if you understand, you take a V and let's say open up the V, and um, and it was like just taller. It was actually flimsy. But I said to him, "Why did you make this design?" He said he thinks it's modern art. Uh, and I I don't know. I I figure I'm just a beggar here. You know, he's doing it. And he said I bought already a hundred thousand pieces of this middle this part this uh, inverted uh, V. 100,000 pieces. I don't even know if we could use these candle holders, but that's all I have. And he right away, I said, how many things you think you could use? I said, well, maybe 10,000 throughout the year. I don't know what I thought. Anyway, he made them and very, very quickly. And I'm sorry till today, I say, Al-Khayt, you know, Erev Yom Kippur, when we say, and during Yom Kippur, we say Al-Khayt so many times that I have a few extra Al-Khayts that I add because one of them is this, that I didn't show it to the Rebbe. I should have shown it to the Rebbe, but I was so eager to start giving out the candle holders that I didn't even show it to them, but we did everything so quickly. I, I can't describe it. I didn't even think that I have to show it to them. I was just so happy. And I was writing to the Rebbe every Friday a report that I wrote with giving out candle holders that I didn't even mention which ones they were, which was a big mistake. Anyway, we were giving out these candle holders. And then one day I get a phone call from the Rebbe's office that the Rebbe wants us to put a sticker on the base of the can, the front base of the candle holder where it should be a pretty sticker and the children should be able to write their name and the name of the school. And this is going to help the principal be proud of it. So he's going to push candle lighting, he's going to get the children more interested in lighting candles. So I located a company that makes stickers. Uh, and within one day, they did it and it was finished. And I was able to show it to them one day. I was so excited that I wanted something from me and I could do it in one day. I, I was on top of the world. So I flew to 770. I say flew, I have a car, but sometimes you drive very quickly. So you feel like you're flying. I was so eager to show it to the Rebbe. And by the time I came home, which took about five and a half minutes, there was a phone call from Rabbi Groner. The Rebbe wants to know, with what right are you distributing a candlestick that is not safe? Yeah. And, and, but I, you, knew, I, you knew it was flimsy. But I had a feeling in my mind, but, but he gave it to me, and somehow I thought, and the Rebbe said, if you take a look at it, because it's so tall and the base is so narrow, it could tip, tip, tip over very easily. I should stop using it right away. 
I burst out crying because I'm doing everything that the therapist should be happy and, and the therapist is so unhappy. And I didn't know what to do. So I called up to Tzach. I said, tell this man. They never told me his phone number or anything because they thought they were going to do this for some reason. They thought they are going to run the Niftah. And I told somebody, please call him up and tell him he has to make a different design. But this boy that I spoke to, this Bacher, somehow he didn't take it as personally as I did. And I'm sitting by the phone a whole evening waiting for this manufacturer to call me and ask me what to do. And the next day, and the next day, and nobody calls me. And I call back this boy, I can't reach him. And I said, I want to speak to the manufacturer. Don't ask what happened until I finally got hold of the name of the manufacturer. And I called him up. <clears throat> he said, nobody even called him. I said, listen, you have to make a different design. Because the guy said, it's too flimsy. He said, so what should I do? I said, wait, because it's so tall and because it's so narrow on the bottom, it, I see the way it could tip over very easily. You have to make something that's shorter tall enough that it should be substantial and and wider base that it should be safe so he went and made five different designs and he said take it into the Rebbe's office he didn't realize I can't go into the head but I can just walk in like that so we gave it over to the secretary and I was told by Rabbi Grona that the Rebbe was not happy with either one of the designs. He made five designs, but the Rebbe chose the top of one design. He said, this should be the top where the candle goes in. The circle should be the middle where you connect. And the base, he chose one that had a wide enough base. It's about four and a half inches in circumference. And that should be the base. So the Rebbe actually designed the candle holder that this should be safe and attack it will never tip over unless you throw it over. But so it's the combination the Rebbe chose from chose five, from five he chose three different parts to make it. So till today, 49 years later, we are still making the same candle holder. We did it by him for about 20 years and then he went out of business. So we did it in Hong Kong and then we did it in China. And you know, we How many we, hundreds of thousands would you say? Well, like, Mr. Kupferstein claimed that we uh, he made eight million for us. I really don't know if it's eight million, but if he says eight million, must be close to it. You know what happened was we were using so many that he had to hire three shifts of workers. They worked not just eight hours; they worked twenty-four hours a day in his factory. He had three shifts of eight-hour shifts of the producers' candle holders because we were using so many of them. Um, every Is Friday, I. Like today, someone will still today. The only difference is at that time they cost 25 cents a piece, and today they cost a dollar 80, included with because of the shipping and the tariffs from China and the expense of how metal went up. I mean, you look on the internet, the difference between how much 25 cents was then and what it's now, and you can understand. But metal went up tremendously. So now we don't do that. Now we don't do that because nobody could afford that. But if they go to a school, we give it out. A lot of people buy it to give to schools that they work with, people that work in the Talmud Torah. There are places that, you know, order it from me. There is shluchim that order it. Um, not everybody can afford it, and I understand it's very expensive. Um, I just want to tell you something here when it comes, or we'll talk about that when we talk about the high rise, because there's something very important about the candle holder. Just want to continue with this. Um, we made the brochure, and of course, everything was checked by the Rebbe. The Rebbe gave us a lot of instruction, and I'll talk about that soon, about the different things the Rebbe told us have to be included. Um, nothing was done without the Rebbe checking it. I felt this is the Rebbe's miftah, and I was so 
un, uh, so afraid to do anything on my own. So everything was done according to the Abba's instructions. And as I told you, every Friday I wrote a report and the Abba would comment on things. I remember one time I wrote to the Abba that I wrote always in Hebrew. So I wrote that this week we gave out Harbe Leichter. And the Rebbe underlined, Kama ze Harbe, how much is a lot? I wrote a lot. We want details, we want details. The Rebbe wanted no details. And it was that week we gave out 3,000 just in that week. And the Rebbe wrote a question, that's not a lot. So I said, well, I was hoping it's a lot, but I'm going to try to make it even more because I remember writing that. The Rebbe wanted to show that 3,000 doesn't mean anything to me. Once much, much more. We know that the Rebbe never was satisfied with just a little bit. Uh, I remember once we, we sent 10,000 candlesticks to um, uh, the Israeli army for the uh, female soldiers. Uh, we had a lot of different projects like that. And we gave candlesticks to all kinds of people. Uh, I once met somebody that at a, at a conference of something, and he was a psychiatrist. And I don't know, somebody introduced me to him because he says he wants to talk to me. I don't know what I have to do with him. And then he says... Mrs. Sternberg, you're my heroine. I said, excuse me, you make a big mistake because I don't even know who you are. So he tells me, you know, I'll tell you in a minute. All the way back years ago, I came to you and I wanted candle holders for a certain group of young women. And I wanted 300 and I knew it cost money. It was 25 cents a piece, but still 300. And I gave it to him without charging him because I was so excited, this man without a beard. I don't know how religious he is. I don't know who he's giving it to. I was so happy he was going to distribute it that I just gave it to him. I said, it's my pleasure that you're giving it and girls are going to start lighting it. Hopefully this is going to bring them closer to Yiddishkeit. He was so uh, taken by that I was giving it to him. So with so much excitement that he should reach out to these people that he when he saw me years later had no idea who he was he said you're my hero it was the funniest thing i so who, did, who did cover all these candlesticks you said it wasn't under oh, you doing it what happened who did it okay so that's a very good question so i'm going to tell you a story now that i think will help every single person listening to have a certain mindset um uh, neshe chabad had used to whatever they did they used to send a bill to the rebbe uh, what all the expenses when they made a convention, whenever they, whatever they did, and they got paid for everything to Sheikh Habad. There was no fundraising for the Sheikh Habad. They didn't have a budget, and they got paid for it. When I made the first brochure, so I had to pay for somebody designing it, for somebody writing the the wording, and for the uh, photography and the printing. And the first printing was four thousand. I thought that's a lot. I didn't know how many hundreds of thousands were going to print, but the first time. And there was a bill of $4,000. And I sent the bill to Rabbi Chodokov, like the Sheikh Abad, we sent the bills. And one week after the other, I'm not getting a, a check from Rabbi Chodokov. I'm not getting a phone call. And they're calling me from the company. By the way, it was Arts Grow was then a tiny little business. They had a one-room store in Manhattan. That's how they opened up Arts Grow. And I dealt with the people of Arts Grow when they were just a little baby organization. And they printed my first brochure. They designed it and everything. And I finally called up Rabbi Chadukah. And I said, Rabbi Chadukah, I'm sorry to bother you, but, you know, um, I'm very embarrassed that they're not Lubavitcher people. They're wondering why I'm not paying. And, and something has to be here. So he says, oh, I have to speak to you about that. Could you come to my office tomorrow? I said, okay, 8 o'clock. I said, I'll be there. It happened to me that I sprained my ankle and I was 
walking on crutches, but the important was so important that I went with crutches. So as soon as I came to his office, he said, you're coming with crutches? I said, Rabbi Chazakov, this is so important that I can't put it off. So he tells me to sit down. And then he says, do you know, uh, you know, you, you created a new mycid. You created this mycid. Now, Rabbi Chadukov, whoever heard of him, maybe you heard from your grandfather, anybody from the, of this old generation, knew Rabbi Chadukov as a person who was never satisfied with anything you did. Whatever you thought was wonderful, he would say, that's really nothing because he wanted you to do much more. And he would always make you feel like you're very far from your goal. That was his way of encouraging you. Suddenly, he's giving me this compliment telling me, you created a new institution. You should be very proud of that. I think something's so wrong with Rabbi Chavikov today. I hope that something's not wrong with his mind. Do you know how happy the Rebbe is with this new institution? So I look at him. That's, again, not typical of Rabbi Chavikov. Do you know how much pride the Rebbe has in this institution and how proud he is of you? And I figure, uh-oh, I have to let the family know that there's something wrong with Rabbi Chavikov. I said, okay. He says, I want you to know that you have a you have a very great merit that you did this. So again, I'm just looking, this is so not him. And then he says, but I want to teach you something. With every merit comes responsibility. With you have the merit, so now you have the responsibility to raise the money to pay for it. So well, that was interesting because basically it seems also that, that now it's like it's a new mindset. It's independent from the Sheikh and Chabad. Yes, they never paid the bills in the Sheikh Chabad, but now now you're a separate entity. That's right. Because it's own right. organization. Right. So he threw me for a loop like I didn't know what is going to be. We're $4,000 to me. That was so much money. And how am I going to do it? And I really don't know what's going to be. And I walked out in a way happy what he said, that I was so happy with the mindset and very upset because I don't know where I'm going to get the money. So luckily my father calmed me down. He says, I'm going to lend you the money, but we're going to have to work on fundraising. And just about two weeks later, somebody had a tragedy. His wife passed away. And this man was trying to do things in honor of his wife's memory. And somebody told me, if you go to him, he's going to agree so I will tell you who it is because we should mention a schuss to her. Uh, this was Rabbi Yeshua Pinson. His wife passed away. Her name was Luba. And she had passed away. And during Shiva, somebody said, I should go to him because he's doing a lot of things in her honor. I don't know how I have the guts to speak to a man whose wife just passed away and walk in during Shiva and ask him for money. I mean, I don't know how I did it, but I was so desperate. So I said, Rabbi Pinson, I this want is to what This is still in that same This is 1975 year. already. It's like, uh, not even 75, still 74, but it was a hay. I know that we did it, the, 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 the fundraiser we did was mm -hmm. Tess Kislev. So it still was probably 1974. Uh, Kislev is sometimes still December. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I went over to him and I said, we want to make a Malava Malka to honor your wife's memory for Mitzah Neshek. And it was understandable that if you're honoring somebody, then the family is going to give money. And he got very excited. He says, you know what? I'm going to be the chairman or, or whatever he said, the words that he's going to, for this campaign, he's going to be very, very happy to do it in honor of his wife. 
So what he did was something very interesting. He made up with this Mr. Cooperstein, the manager of uh, the, the factory, that they were going to um, engrave on the candlestick, on the, on the edge of the candlestick, Karen Nair Lupa, which means it's a fun of uh, the honor of his wife, Lupa, the, the candle or the life of, of Lupa. And we did that for about a year. And then at one point, Rabbi Chodekov said, we should not do it anymore because people will think it's more like a memorial thing, doing about somebody's life, and we should stop doing it. But he put a lot of money into it. He gave us money. And we made a Blava Malka, and the community came. And we raised, which we thought is going to be enough to, to carry us through for who knows how long, we raised $13,000. To me, that was a tremendous amount of money. And you already had a $4,000 bill. So I mean $4,000 bill, we had to buy candlesticks, but it was a start. And then because of that, we had a fundraiser every year. We had another fundraiser that same year, you'd base tablets because we were running out of money. And the Hebe, I told the Hebe we want to do something very strong about um, the summer because people go to the country in bungalows. We want to go to all the places where people are in camps and bungalows and speak to girls and speak to women there. And we want to make a Mifsa Chazuk, I wrote. I remember writing Mifsa Chazuk by country. And the Rebbe sent me money. Uh, in those days, the Rebbe's money was sold for a lot of money. In other words, the Rebbe sold, gave me $250. There was a $100 bill, there was $50 bill, $20 bills, $10 bills, $5 bills, $2 bills, $1 bills. And you were able to sell each dollar people bought in. And the 10th, the 10th, the 10th, uh, the $10 bill, the hundred dollar bill, somebody paid ten thousand for, and somebody. I mean, people paid a lot of money for the heaviest money, especially a hundred dollar bill was very rare, and we fundraised through people to offer them to buy this money, and we made. Let me give you two fifty, and then you use that to sell it, it and raise that money. Yes, people bought the heaviest dollars. And um, you don't have any of those dollars anymore. They were no, sold. Those, no, those were sold. And that's what we, I want to say, lived from. That's how we existed until the next fundraiser. Um, so that's uh, really what happened then. That's how we had the money. So the message about having a big schus and having the chayva. It's uh, something you can take even beyond that. Right. Every, so if you, you, you have responsibility. Exactly. It's unbelievable. Exactly. So we learned to have responsibility. And with, with every school comes responsibility. Um, I really would like, I don't know how much longer we have, but I really would like to talk about the high rise, the special instructions, because I have found that people either never because right, yes. we take it for granted and we don't know the details like you had mentioned before no, i'm just going to bring up you know no. recapping it that you had mentioned that it's not just it doesn't just start at three if your child can make a bracha earlier then it should start even earlier so we've gone through a lot of the special moments and memories at the beginning of Neshach. we've covered let's say the first year are there any specific eras over the many years from there from lamed a you know okay so some started right away and some of them uh, started as the years went on Number one, the first thing the Rebbe wanted uh, when we made the brochure, of course, we showed it to the Rebbe, and that's one of the reasons that I don't change the wording because the Rebbe went over every single word and corrected it. We had somebody very good writing it, and yet the Rebbe corrected their English, the Rebbe corrected their syntax, the Rebbe corrected grammar. It was incredible that these were people that later became this big organization, and yet the Rebbe was correcting them. Uh, they have instructed that the picture on the brochure should be a mother and a daughter 
not covering the face. A lot of people think to make a picture, the mother covering the face and the daughter covering the face, the Rebbe didn't want that. The Rebbe said we have to show Asiya, the doing, the actual lighting. So the Rebbe told us that it should be the mother teaching the daughter, helping the daughter. So you see that number one, the mother's candles are not lit yet because if they're lit, she can help her daughter. And you see that the mother is helping the daughter that had the one that there should be a, a, a look of happiness on the face of the mother and the daughter, not a big smile, but a look of happiness. The Rebbe wanted that, uh, first of all, on the brochure, there had to be a Bar Hashem on every advertisement. The Rebbe wanted a Bar Hashem. That was a very big thing. If we didn't have Bar Hashem, we had a lot of advertisements we did in the New York Times, and we didn't even know if we should put it into a newspaper that people would throw in the garbage. But the Rebbe said to have a Baruch Hashem on everything we print. Um, the idea of having the Asiya, the Rebbe meant that people should see the actual doing that. In the, all this emotional part of uh, blessing and that, he didn't feel people are going to understand enough. Let them see the lighting of the candle. Now, there was a very important thing that the Rebbe wanted, that anything we print should show the mothers and, and one candle for the little girl. For instance, I'll give you an example. Somebody, I don't even know who it was, went and printed a bumper sticker. And it was, wasn't even a picture of anything. It was just two candles and the words, Jewish women and girls light Shabbos candles. That's all. And you, it was a bumper sticker for the car. And the Rebbe sent a message to me, Eifai Haner Hashlishi. Where is the third candle? And I didn't even know somebody printed this. Somebody else did it. I mean, anybody could do what they want for Neshek. And the Rebbe said there should be a Ner Shlishi Be'emta. The Rebbe made us do every, any advertisement or anything that had that Neshek. There had to be three candles, and he wanted one should be small, so you should know that belongs to the girl. By the way, some people don't know that uh, every girl has to light on her own candle holder. You're not supposed to have, let's say, four girls light on a candelabra together. It has to be on her own candle holder. And the Rebbe wanted us to show always that it's um, a smaller one for the girl. They understand it's not the mother's candle, it's the girl's candle. Now, there's something I have to say that I think a few people, are gonna, a few people maybe a lot of people are going to be upset about. Um, the Rebbe was very careful that the candle should be a certain height, the candlestick. Uh, and what I'm trying to tell you is that there was a time, I would say maybe three years later, three years into the Mifza, that somebody in Bar Park that had a very big store, it was called G and Sons Department Store, some people remember that, he sold all kinds of things. And he was in touch with somebody in Eretz Yisrael that produced metal candlesticks. And this man was doing business with him, and he offered him 100,000 of these little candlesticks that he made that were very cute, very pretty, and he offered it to him at a cheap price. I think it was also 25 cents. This man called me up, and he says, I don't have to buy these candlesticks. You need them. But I'll tell you what. Since I like you, because he was, he, he was very happy. His daughter became from through lighting candles, so he was very thankful. So he said, I'm going to pay for half of it. And you pay for half of it. So I'm going to pay, it'll cost $25,000. You'll pay $12,500. I'll pay the other $12,500. And I'm giving you a donation of, of like, so to speak, either 50,000 candlesticks or 100,000 at half price. And I said, okay, 
let me see the candlestick and I'm going to show it to the Rebbe. By this time, I knew I have to show things to the Rebbe before. I showed it to the Rebbe. The candlestick was adorable. It was two inches tall, two and a half inches tall. And uh, I wrote that somebody is going to pay for half of it. So it's going to save me $12,500. Of course, we're going back. It was a lot of money then. And the Rebbe did not let me take them because he said they're too short on the table and it could cause a fire. I remember being so shocked. It is low, two inches, maybe it's just two inches. And, but the Rebbe didn't let me take it. So either I could save so much money, if it's not, if it's not safe, it's not safe. Now, at that time, tea lights were not yet available in America or anywhere. I don't think anybody made tea lights. Years, years later, tea lights came into being and people found it very comfortable to buy these tea lights. You could pick them up anywhere and you could use them. It was very, um, I don't know if anybody asked the Rebbe about the tea lights, but I felt that I'm not going to use them because the Rebbe didn't let me use two inches tall because the Rebbe said it's too low on the table and it could cause a fire. So I'm not going to ask the Rebbe about a tea light that's a, probably a quarter of an inch tall. And I don't know if anybody asked the Rebbe. So the tea lights can be in any sort of holder. So you can put the tea lights into a taller holder. So listen, so I went and changed the style of the cap of the candlestick. I didn't change the design of the candlestick, but the cap that holds a candle, I added a certain like a lip inside where the candle, the tea light can sit in the cap comfortably. So thereby the candle, the tea light could be used in the candle holder. So it's not too low on the table. And um, it's, 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 you could use a tea light. And it might be more readily available than the tall right. candlestick. Now, the problem is that today when people go to time, they're not, they can't spend a dollar eighty on each candlestick because, and I can't sell it for cheaper because of course it's so hard to get. It takes me months until China sends it. And with the tariffs and with the whole business, I, I, I get sick about waiting for the candlesticks. I'm always afraid of running out because I always say, if I don't have candlesticks, uh, I don't know if I should be alive because my life is that there should be candlesticks to be given out. So I always am nervous that I'm not going to get the shipments in order because in time, because people need them. But of course, that's not everybody. There are people that take it. There are a lot of people that can't afford it. It makes me very nervous when people are giving out the little tea lights, but they somehow feel they don't have another another idea. There are some places that put two candles in a little package with a brochure, and they give a regular candle, assuming that people do have their own candlesticks at home, because many people use candlesticks of all kinds. They don't have to be silver. They could be uh, ceramic. They could be anything. And people use it when they decorate. So a lot of people feel that they can give the candle. So I know in Toronto, they give out two candles with the brochure in a little pretty bag. Uh, in Chicago, they started doing it, but not everything. And the brochure that you're printing now is the same text, the, the same brochure from Lamed Hay, or it's the same yeah. text, the new picture? All no. the same. No, the, the picture we changed whatever we could, but it's very hard to get exactly the person smiling the same way, holding it. It's such an ordeal. I have to try to get a new picture, but in the meantime, it's such an ordeal that I leave it. But the text is the same. The only thing that changes is the, uh, of course, the timetables. We, we, we print brochures for Meishluchim all over the United States. We do it for Canada. We do it in Russia also. And we have the timetables for 10 cities, um, any 10 cities people ask for, or the generic one has the 10 major cities. And uh, that's the way we did the first one with 10 cities, and that's the way it was set up. 
the major cities like you know New York, Chicago, Florida, whatever. Now, um, the it's interesting that I embarrassed another alchet that I add is that the first brochure I went along with a very wonderful woman, a very smart woman that really knows what she's doing. And somehow we were so into Shabbos candles that we forgot about Yantif. I, I don't even know how that happened. I mean, we're both intelligent people and we forgot about Yantif and we're so busy with Shabbos. And the Hebrew didn't say anything when he saw the brochure. He gave us a, a thank you for making a beautiful brochure, whatever it was. And Erev Pesach, about a month before Pesach, I get a message from the Rebbe's office that we should print a special um, paper, something. He didn't say what well, we should print. I don't remember what the word was. Something like a brochure, but it wasn't a brochure. It was just one page of giving instructions of what to do with Yantif candles because there's the second day of Yantif and the second day you're not allowed to strike a match. And that year happened to be three days in a row. So what do you do if the Shabbos follows? And all the instructions that have told us, these instructions have to be printed up for people and the times for the Yantif candles. I remember being so embarrassed. How did we forget Yantif? And it was two of us. It wasn't only, I, I don't know. We was just so busy with Shabbos, Shabbos, Shabbos. We forgot about Yantif. So because of that, we printed up this very pretty uh, paper, very, you know, very pretty design. And we gave all the instructions for Yantif. So a lot of people make... Um, um, magnets instead of brochures because they feel people like it on the refrigerator. But because the Rebbe told us to put in so many instructions and we have the whole Nusach that the Rebbe went over, the whole uh, pitch, it doesn't fit on a magnet. So I don't produce magnets. I only make the brochure because the Rebbe wanted these words to go in and he underlined this and underlined that and he wanted those brachas with the instructions that you can't strike a match and you can't light before the time's indicated because the second day if you have to light an hour later all that so all that was gone over by the Rebbe and we have to be very careful to follow what the Rebbe did and I will not change anything until the Rebbe tells me to change so that's a story about that but I wanted to just reiterate the fact of the a candle, the 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 uh, tea light. A lady called me up about a year and a half ago, and she told me the following story: that she goes away for Shabbos for shlichas, and she has two tall candles uh, at that place where she goes for Shabbos, and the rest she uses tea lights. And one Friday, she said, "A miracle that my son-in-law was in the house with me, because I was wearing a blouse that was like with a cape." And as I was lighting, I lit the little ones first, the tea lights. And then when I, as I lifted up my hand to light the, the tall one, my cape caught on to the tea light. And I was in flames. My whole top, my whole, whatever was where the cape, went in flames. It must have been stiff of uh, material. And if not that my son-in-law came and ripped it off me, I don't know if I would have been alive. So she called up to say she wants to give a donation to Neshek because of that. And that's what I said, uh-oh, the Rebbe was afraid that the low candles could be dangerous. And look how it was dangerous. It was so low on the table that her her uh, cake caught fire. So I don't want to pass it. I don't want to say, don't use tea lights. Don't give out Ibsen tea lights. I understand that the candle holders are so expensive. But I don't, I can't, so I never give out tea lights. I tell people, do whatever you want. I know that the I think the Rebbe would not want it because he didn't let me get those. I would have saved so much money. And that's when you go back and see how much 40 something years ago, $12,500 was, he felt it was too dangerous. So I do not allow that. I mean, I don't do it.
you know, we're running out of time and I want to wrap up, but I have a, I have a question for you. You know, a lot of times when we say, oh, in Chabad, girls light at the age of three. That's a very good question. in this campaign, the Rebbe is telling it to everyone. So can you give us any sort of history or context? Um, I'm going to tell you, I'll tell you, I'm glad you asked that question. Um, but I just have to, I have to add one more thing. Remind me, I have to add one more thing. I'll tell you about this. Um, in the very beginning, I something happened. My mother was out of town and she met somebody. A whole story, she got told, a lady, she was in a clinic. Um, and this lady was crying and my mother went over to the lady. She didn't know the lady. She said, why are you crying? And she said, I was told that... Um, I have so little time to live. I have a very serious sickness, and, and I, I, I'm a young woman. I feel anyway. So my mother said she was a Jewish woman. So my mother said, "When you light your candles today, you pray to God for a miracle. You know, it's a time that you can pray and you cover your eyes." And my mother gave the whole spiel. She said, "I never lit candles." So my mother said, "Come with me in the basement of this hotel. I know there's a store. It's at the Mayo Clinic that they sell." Um, candles, they sell matzah and gefilte fish and jars. They have for people that come, kosher people that sometimes come, you know, quickly from Israel, from another country, and they have things in the store. So my mother took her to the store and she got her candlesticks and candles and she wrote down the bracha of this lady. And my mother said, remember, cry your eyes out and beg God for a miracle. Shabbos morning, they're all sitting in the lobby because there are no visits to the hospital and Shabbos. My mother's sitting in the lobby and she sees a lady going back and forth, back and forth. And she recognized that's the lady from yesterday. So my mother goes over to the lady and the lady said, oh, there you are. You don't know, it worked. I lit candles and I prayed to God and he caused a miracle. Thank you so much. So my mother said, what happened? She was so surprised. She says, I got a call this morning from the doctor and I want you to know that we made a mistake with your test results and there's nothing wrong with you. You're 100% well, go home and lead a very happy life. Now, this woman said, I don't believe it was a mistake. I believe there was a miracle from God because I told him I'm going to light candles every week. I'm begging him, restore my life, my health to me, and I'm going to light candles every week. So I told my mother, so she says, look how they have such wonderful ideas, my mother said. So I said to my mother, but you know, about the children, how we can get children that are going to say it's a minute. So my mother tells me, who my mother was not born a Lubavitcher, her father was a Rebbe from the Polish Rebbe's, but she was not a Lubavitcher. She said, but I bench looked as a girl. It's the first time in my life I heard that she benched as a girl. I said, really? She says, yes. And then she tells me about a cousin that her this father- This happened born. after Lamed Hay with your mother? It was the very first year, the two months into the Mifta. Okay, okay. So she told me of other cousins, the visits of Ebbetson, and they're all related to her. They all bench looked as girls. So I wrote to the Rebbe, and the Rebbe said I should do research on as many places as possible from these different uh, dynasties and find out. So I sat down and I called up all these Rebbetsons in my mother's name, saying who I am. They all know my mother, of course. And they all told me that their children all light candles, but we don't tell them to bench. We don't. Our children bench when they're young. Some of them start at six. Some of them start at 12 years old. But we don't tell Achsidim. So it was very funny. But our Rebbe cares about Achsidim. And the other Rebbe, their children do it, but they don't tell Achsidim to do it. So it wasn't only Lubavitch, but we see by these right. other Achsidim that, so, that, that the family of the Rebbe did. Right. We found out Rabbi Soloveitchik also gave his daughter candlesticks to light. We found out that it was not only a minig in Hasidic homes, it was also a minig in literature homes. The Rebbe spoke, Yutes Kislev, after he started the campaign, 
and spoke that everybody used to like candles, girls, women, and if there were two or three women in the same household because they happened to be living together, everybody lit. But that was before World War I. When World War I started, it was very hard to get hold of paraffin that makes candles because paraffin and petroleum is the same material. They needed the petroleum for the gas, for the tanks and the war uh, trucks, and they, they didn't have enough um, paraffin to make candles. So what happened was that women had candles and they cut them in pieces because maybe next week we're not going to be able to take candles. And the Rebbe said this at the Fabregat. And if there were two women in the home, let's say a mother-in-law and a daughter, only one would light because there weren't enough candles. It just was a short... This is after World War One. The Rebbe said because of World War One, people stopped. So once they stopped, they didn't start again. So the Rebbe so said... So that's where the tradition so to speak, got lost because yes, the 19, exactly, the right. So well, I did interview, I interviewed a woman that was 87 years old when I interviewed her. And she told me a story when she was six years old, how she was told by her grandfather that she should light Shabbos candles at his house because where she came from, from her father's side, she, they, they didn't know about lighting candles, but in, in the mother's side, this grandfather told her that all the other children that came from the family uh, all Ben Schlicht, all the girls, and she felt the reason she's not lighting is maybe she's not as pious as they are, and she was feeling bad for herself. And then her grandfather noticed that she's not lighting, and he said, you should start lighting, and she started lighting from bed. So she told me a story 49 years ago about something that happened when she was six years old and she was 80, 70 years old at the time, okay? Um, so and then, like 100 years of, of girls having stopped to light, it so right. to speak became... A given right. that they shouldn't, but the Rebbe reintroduced it, that this is a minha gisral for everyone. So this is what we've been doing, and that's why we gave out the candlesticks to the children, and the children were so excited. So sometimes there were parents that were against it. It's not our minha, but the child wanted so badly, so the parents had to give in. That was a very, uh, because we had these candlesticks, we, the children started lighting, and the parents had to agree to it. Were there and, any stories where someone wrote to the Rebbe and said, it's not our minha, and the Rebbe, like, Address them directly. Do you know of any? Um, like that? The spoke at the Megan, and the said it also was not a minute for girls to learn until Sarah Schneer. The Rebbe spoke about this until Sarah Schneer came and realized now the times have changed, and the world needs that girls should be occupied and learn and learn Torah so that this they protect their neshamas. So they have explained that you can say it's not a minute of your parents, but uh, did your grandparents read the newspapers? But now you're reading newspapers, so. Things change, and I'm telling you there to say that if whoever says it's not their minha, they have to know that now is a time that we need more light in the world, and this is something you should do. There were people so that because of the darkness of the world, and even if you didn't and your grandmother didn't, now it's necessary to increase light. They have also said those who feel that it might be uh, extra bracha because if the mother is lighting, so she's already incorporating the children, and the bracha could be bracha levatala. The Rebbe said, if anybody's worried about that, he doesn't think it's a bracha levatala because it's Indian of chinuch. You're teaching a child a mitzvah, so there's no problem with the child saying a bracha. But if you feel there's a problem, that's why the children shall light before the mother, so then the mother was not might see them yet, and it cannot be a bracha levatala. Now, there's one thing that I left out, which right, is... You said you had one more hara that we wanted to yeah, say before we... Very came. important. Yeah. Just the other day, I was... Uh, somebody was in touch with me from another country and wanted to show me things they're doing for Nesha. A lot of people called me up with advice of how to proceed with this advertisement, that advertisement. 
And I was shocked that he showed me things that he did. And he wrote light Shabbat, Jewish women and girls, light Shabbos candles tonight at whatever time. And I was so shocked as if you were giving me a, a somebody with, with a spear in my heart. You can't write Friday night. Friday night is Shabbos already. The Rebbe was so consistent that you only say evening or eve. You cannot say tonight because Friday night became Shabbos, whether or not you lit candles. I'm curious because I'm thinking about the common Messiah song about, um, you know, they should light every Friday night. But you're saying that okay. so about this evening. Okay, so a very big mistake. And, and you know, the Rebbe, was, the Rebbe even said so many times, the Rebbe spoke about this. There was a time that every Fabrega the Rebbe would end with talking about the Tenif time. Uh, he would enumerate them again at the end of the Fabregat, and whatever he spoke about, like Shabbos candles, he said, and the schos was the medela that every little girl, even three years old, has, that she brings 18 more minutes of Kedusha Shabbos into the world. What a schos she has, this little girl. Because Shabbos will come in no matter what, if you will bench or not. But if you bench 18 minutes before, you're bringing 18 more minutes of Kedusha into the world. So every girl brings 18 more minutes of Kedusha into the world. So it's very important to make sure that you remember it's Friday evening and Chalila not to write Friday night because that would be terrible. You know, Mrs. So, Sternberg, there's so many, I mean, we could probably talk for several hours about this and it's really such an honor and privilege to, to, um, to interview you on this incredible topic. Is there anything that you'd like to say as a closing, uh, closing remarks? Any last details? Okay, so I'll tell you what I want to say. Okay. The Rebbe, I just read this in a sikh, I should have it in front of me. The Rebbe said, um, something very interesting happened after Rebbe Sechayi passed away. The Rebbe called in certain people um, on Rosh Chodesh Adar, which was two days after he got up from Shiva, to his um, his library upstairs on the second floor of his house. Everybody knows that uh, the Rebbe davened in his house. That became like the shul, and everybody who could fit into the house davened with him. And uh, a few groups of uh, three different groups were called in. They wanted to thank them for what they did for the Rebbitson. So um, my father and I were called in, and I really, we didn't know why. Uh, maybe because we were with the Rebbitson in the hospital, because that's a different story. There's nothing to do with Neshek. But during the Shiva, it was something that we had planned three months in advance. We had a Malava Malka fundraiser for Neshek. And we were thinking, should we cancel it or should we not cancel it? And people said, no, don't cancel it. Do something in her memory. So we made a new uh, organization to do, more of, to do more advertisement in her honor. And we announced it at this Malava Malka. What I was used the name of the organization? No, we got a name later. We got a name Project 470, but... Because okay. of the tell you. We just announced that we're having a strong campaign for more advertising. And I used to write to the Rebbe always a report, but I didn't think I could uh, write to the Rebbe during Shiva. I didn't think it was right. Somehow the Rebbe found out about it. And when he called us in, I didn't know what he called us in about. My father and I, we were shaking. It was so scary to see the Rebbe put him, put him, you know, at a time he just got up from Shiva. And he was holding something in his hand and it was something white and he gave it to me and he motioned that I should come close to the desk. And I saw it was the invitation to the Blava Malka that we had sent him a few weeks ago. And he, the first words he said is, it was not the proper, it was not an opportune time for me to give you the blessings for the Malava Malka. 
But being that I heard that you made a special fun in honor of the Nifteris, the woman who passed away, when he said that, my heart melted completely. Uh, I want to give you my contribution for success in this campaign. And I'm going to give you $470, which is the numeric equivalent of the name of the Nifteris, the name of the person who passed away. 470 is the, uh, the Gematria, is the numeric equivalent of Chayimushka. And then he gave us an extra dollar for extra success. Then he started to give us brachas. I have to tell you, honestly, my father and I was so emotional that we can't even remember everything. What we did remember, we wrote down right away. The Rebbe said, Ya'ir Mazola, the Mazel should get brighter of all those that uh, support us financially. Ya'ir Mazola, of all those that go out and try to influence people to light candles, their Mazel should get brighter. And Ya'ir Mazola, of all those who start to light Shabbos candles because of this campaign, their Mazel will get brighter. So we walked out with that excitement and we just wrote down whatever remember. There was so many brachas we couldn't remember. We were so nervous and it was like so unexpected. We didn't have a camera at that time. Yeah, we didn't, we didn't <laughs> stupidly, stupidly. So I feel the most important message is that your ear mazolan, and they have been told this many times as he had dollars, they have been told people that the mazel will get brighter if like somebody asked for a shidduch for their daughter and they have said that she like candles. And it seems to be people that did not want their daughters to light because there's this whole thing that's going to insult the mother. I don't know. Some people have different ideas. And the Rebbe said, no, your mazala, her mazal will get brighter if she lights candles. So the circle that I just saw, the Rebbe said that if a girl is even just a year old and she almost could say the whole brach herself, she could light, so she should quickly, her mazal should get brightened. She your mazala even earlier. So the Rebbe was using that same lashon of Ya'ir Mazala. So it's something very special that the Mazal gets brighter through bringing light into the world. And as the Zayhar says, that through lighting Shabbos candles, a woman is Zayhar to bring long life to her husband, and she's Zayhar to have children that will light up the world with Taya. Light up the world with Taya. How great is that to have children that light up the world with Taya? So... The light, the light will emit Hashem come very soon with Mashiach Sitkedu, and hopefully that everybody's candle is helping bring that time closer. Thank you so much, Mrs. Sternberg. This was incredibly fascinating. And hope everyone who's listening to this, you know, is motivated to, uh, if your daughter's not lighting yet, have your daughter light or to go out and spend a couple hours distributing to your neighbors or friends. Keep some, you know, Mifsa Neshek in your bag. You never know when you meet someone. And together we'll continue, you know, Yara Mazal. And that's an incredible bracha for all of us that our, our Mazal should increase when we light and when we share that light with everyone. So maybe very soon. Thank you so much, Mrs. Sternberg. You're welcome. Be well. We hope you enjoyed today's recording. Please take a moment to leave a rating or a review to help others find the podcast. We welcome you to support our vital work at mikvah.org forward slash donate. For feedback, please email podcast at mikvah.org. Have a wonderful day.